Leah and I have been talking a little bit about music for this platform for the past couple of days, and, and it's hard, actually, to find music that says exactly what I want to say or what I need to hear, maybe. A lot of the music <clears throat> about loss and sadness kind of goes to the, um, the bad feelings have disappeared part, you know? I love that song. I can see clearly now. But it's not where I am right now. Perhaps not where many of you are either. This community is grappling with hard loss right now, with grief. Karen mentioned during the announcements, and I want to share just a little bit more fully for folks who haven't seen their email or um, for visitors who are with us for the first time, that Mary Herman, my colleague who serves as the leader for congregational life here and has been a long time, long time part of this community, is, is leaving and her last platform with us will be next Sunday, the 16th. I know because you've told me and you've told each other and because I see it as we greet each other with sadness and with hugs this morning, the depth of pain that many of us are feeling, the depth of grief. And of course, there's an element of surprise or shock as well for many folks, as there so often is with loss and pain in our lives. All of us at some point or another in life feel that sense of being bereft, of pain and sadness, grief and loss. And I think, I think so often we want to just get past it, you know, to just get to that other side where the bad feelings have disappeared. We have all of those songs about zipping past it, the sun breaking through. You know, people make fun of me sometimes for loving country music, but country music is actually, actually a genre that knows how to sit with heartbreak. <laughs> it knows how to have a whole song with verses and choruses about what it's like to feel pain, to sit in pain. The problem with sitting with pain, of course, is that it hurts. (laughs) We want those happy feelings for things to be fine, and so we have that impulse to to just get to the other side, to get to fine as quickly as possible. I think sometimes we don't want to get past pain just for ourselves, but for others, too, If you are a a parent or work with small children, you know the impulse to try to get your child past pain. You know, they stub their toe and you say, shh, don't cry. (laughs) It's okay, it's fine, don't cry. I'll get you an ice pack, I'll get you a Band-Aid, it'll be fine. If it's a Dora Band-Aid, it'll really be fine, you know. (laughs) Don't cry, it's kind of a funny thing to say to a child, actually. Don't cry. Sometimes things are sad. I always think that the Buddhists are good with loss and pain. And I've been reading 
the teacher Pema Chodron in her book, When Things Fall Apart. She says this, When things fall apart and we're on the verge of we know not what, the test for each of us is to stay on that brink and not concretize. The spiritual journey is not about heaven and finally getting to a place that's really swell. (laughs) Even the little things, you know, the things that seem as though we ought to get over them easily that happen in our lives. There's a value, too, in acknowledging the loss even there, I think. I have such a distinct memory of a, of a little sister with big brothers, big sisters. And she was nine when we were matched. And uh, I used to say that I was matched with her. I got a, bit, I got a little sister just so I had an excuse to go to Disney movies. And uh, so I have this distinct memory of trying to get to one of those movies and um, racing across town because it was only in Bethesda, and, you know, we were coming from Hyattsville, and, and we missed the movie. And uh, we got there, and it was 10 minutes in, and it just was clear it wasn't going to work out that time. And, um, and she was so disappointed. And my first impulse was to, to fix it, you know, somehow, or, or to try to convince her it wasn't that bad, I think. To say, you know, it's okay, it's just a movie, we'll see it another time, it's not a big deal, maybe we could get to the showing that's in Rockville, you know. And I finally realized that what I needed to do was to allow her to feel that sense of ah, something I wanted to have happen, and it didn't. And for the big things in life, the big sadnesses, the big disappointments or the deaths, the losses. I wonder if in some ways we're, we're cheating ourselves when we don't allow the loss to be fully what it is, when we don't acknowledge the depth of our grief. Or then, too, when we don't let the depth of loss show. People ask all the time, you know, how are you? <laughs> Right? That's what we say any moment, and we barely have time to hear what the answer is. And so, of course, the answer then is supposed to be, you know, fine. Right? Someone said it. Fine. I'm fine. Thanks. I'm fine. I remember when I was a teenager, I had a friend who, um, who lost his father very suddenly. And, um, and I went to the wake. I was, you know... 14 years old and didn't know what to say. And so I went up to him and said, "Um, well, how are you doing? How are you? And he said, with all of the honesty of adolescence, how do you think I am? (laughs) I think as adults, we put these protective shields up, you know. And so one of our challenges is acknowledging to each other the depth of loss of where we are. of allowing ourselves in some way to be vulnerable enough to show that. Folks often cry at platform, I find. I look out at this, at this view and people are moved by things I wouldn't expect sometimes or whatever it is that they've brought into the room with them. And occasionally they'll come up afterward and say, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> But of course, that sense of 
of being moved, I think. And the safety and being able to show it, you know, this should be a place where that's allowed, where it's not just allowed, but welcomed. There's another piece from Pema Chodron talking about a Buddhist teaching, the idea that the very moment is the perfect teacher. The very moment is the perfect teacher. She's talking about awareness and mindfulness and about the idea that mindfulness, that sitting with something, isn't about achieving nirvana in every moment, which is, which is good for those of us who have tried mindfulness practices, but achieving noticing. Or actually maybe about achieving nothing, not about achieving at all, but just about being about being sad. I want to invite you, I think, into into just a couple moments of silence right now to just notice. As you breathe in and out, to see what's there and perhaps name it to yourself. now to come back into this space. There's something so amazing, I always think, about being silent in a group of people, even for a moment. To have that experience of noticing where you are, of mindfulness, and to know that next to you is someone else doing the same thing. It's remarkable, really. And I hope that this is a place where we can do that, where each of us can notice exactly what it is in our hearts, where we can notice it together. I think sometimes, sometimes it's actually hard to do that kind of noticing together, to be silent in a group of people or to be maybe in a group of people at all. I often find that, uh, that after someone has experienced a deep personal loss, a death perhaps, or a grave personal disappointment, that for a little while they don't come, you know, on Sundays. I think some of that is because it's hard to, to come and get all of the questions, the how are you, when the answer isn't fine, <laughs> and wondering whether people will have enough time for what the real answer is. We're not wanting to give the real answer every minute of every day. But I think there's a piece, too, about how scary it is to be vulnerable in a community, to really bring the fullness of who you are and what you, what you feel, to answer how are you as fully as possible.
But I think it's in that vulnerability, in the expression and acknowledgement of pain, of grief, of anger, of sadness, that we find a way to live with it. I didn't say a way to move past it, although, you know, that comes too in time. Or at least a way to see there's something on the other side. But, but right now, I just mean to live with it. To live with it as a companion. I think a fair amount about the idea of, of chronic physical pain, which is a, a little bit of an element in my own life, although thankfully at this time, not in a significant way, but it's there. And you know, Western medicine can't really manage chronic pain. <laughs> they, uh, they're really good at infection, but not great with pain management. I had a doctor tell me at one point, you know, oh, well, just can't really do anything about that. And so what I've learned is the practice of acknowledging it when it comes. You know, that pain in my hands or wherever you feel it, we often have those twinges. How to live with that pain, to notice it, acknowledge that it's my companion again today. The Dixie Chicks have a song that speaks to me about that called Hello, Mr. Heartbreak. I've been expecting you. Just to notice that the heartbreak or the pain came to visit today. I think one of the fears with physical pain as well as with emotional pain, though, is that if we acknowledge it too much, if we notice it too much, we end up getting absorbed by it. That we won't be able to find a way out. And it's true that sometimes we do get lost in our own grief or pain, our own sadness. There's an element, I think, where that intensity of feeling can be cathartic, but it's not sustainable over the long term, that kind of intensity. So somehow we have to find a way to be with pain, whatever brings it into our lives, without being totally overwhelmed by it. There's an exercise that I use sometimes, and, and I commend to you that a, a friend taught me. It's a breathing exercise. And it's very simple. When you breathe in, you say to yourself, I feel my pain. You notice it and acknowledge that it's there. And then as you breathe out, you say, I am not my pain. It's not the totality of me. And then you repeat, because it doesn't take just one breath. You know, it's always there. I am my pain. I am not my pain. And you can do it, of course, with any feeling or experience that's hard to grapple with, hard to live with. I feel my sadness to honor it and acknowledge it. I am not my sadness. There's more of me, too. 
being somehow in pain and loss, but not being only of it, I think. There's something about that acknowledgement, that vulnerability, that for me, at least, allows me to be as fully human as I, as I can be. And I think somehow that acknowledgement is also deeply a part of who we are as a religious people and specifically as a, as a humanistic congregation, as a people focused on the here and now, on the fullness of here and now and all that that means. Not to imagine a way out, a magic cure from pain and sadness. But again, in Pema Chodron's words, and actually she's writing about non-theism here, She talks about being with the ambiguity and uncertainty of the present moment without reaching for anything to protect ourselves. I thought that was such an interesting phrase, without reaching for anything to protect ourselves. Just sitting. Sitting with where we are. It's a hard thing to do, not to reach for anything to protect ourselves. You know, our society, I think, so often asks us to to pull the protections around us, to gird ourselves up, to put on the masks. I'm fine, thanks. And so often, it's not the full answer. Sitting with that loss, with any loss or sadness, is also, I think, the beginning of what does allow us to see the next possibility. To find the space and to bring that full sense of respect to the loss. You know what I mean? To really honor what we're feeling the depth of our feeling by sitting with it and allowing it to be there, not rushing forward. There's a practice there, an awareness, a centering, and I think in some ways a beauty, too, in being fully present to what we are. I looked through poems last night and this morning, trying to find just the right words to share with you. Like songs, they're hard to find. So I want to close with these words from Ellen Bass. It's a poem called, The Thing Is. To love life To love it even when you have no stomach for it. And everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands, your throat filled with the silt of it. When grief sits with you, its tropical heat thickening the air, heavy as water, more fit for gills than lungs. When grief waits you like your own flesh, only more of it an obesity of grief, you think... How can a body withstand this? 
and you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes, and you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again.